effort work into getting the company to where it's at. And if you start criticizing and you start kind of like, you know, poo-pooing on the work that they've done, you know, you kill their morale. So, you know, what I really try to do is I go in there, I talk to them, I ask them what they think we should be doing, what's wrong, why are we doing it? What you find out real quick is the people on the ground know all the problems. They know what's going on. They know what needs to happen. So, you know, once, you know, you can avoid, you, know, you talk to them and you avoid the impulse to make quick decisions. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today, we've got Greg Spillane. Greg, thanks for making time. Yeah, Jess, great to speak with you, man. So for people who don't know about Fancy, give, it, give us the elevator pitch. Yeah, sure. So uh, Fancy's been around since uh, 2010. Uh, since 2010, we've had about 12 million users that have, have signed up the account. It really was started truly more as a, uh, a Pinterest type of product, kind of like Pinterest for dudes is, is what, I, what I've, I've heard it described as. But, you know, very much urban, chic, kind of appeal to a little bit more of a, an eclectic, affluent audience, but it was a place for people to share and post really cool, interesting, unique items, you know, and it was very much like a, a place to, to show, show off your personal tastes, your aspirations, you create your fancy profile and, you know, people would share and, and, and like different things. And, uh, and it, it slowly started to morph into commerce over time. And it just simply happened with, we had a lot of really interesting, cool products. People would come to us and be like, Hey man, like, where do I buy that? Like, I want that. That's, that's the best thing ever. And so we've, we've since then we've morphed into a you know, e-commerce platform. I'm not the founder of the company. Actually, uh, I was brought in by the board of uh, directors in uh, early 2019 to take over the helm and, you know, we've we've really gotten back to the roots of fancy, you know, being a destination for people to to find and shop really interesting, unique, cool products from independent artisans across the world. And I, I guess the best way to describe it would be like a highly curated Etsy with a little bit more edge. You know, it's funny. I was looking on there and right off the bat, I I was thinking of gift ideas for kind of like some people who have everything. You know, yeah. like the, the one I'm for sure going to get, hope she doesn't listen to this episode. One of our partners at Greystoke Investments, Lindsay, she just built this gorgeous house. She's got this like great live edge table, but yeah. like you get it wet one little thing and it gets rings right off the bat or whatever, you know, so she's like, there's a lot of babying to this like super expensive table they bought. Right. So I'm looking on there here at this, this chill glass where you chill the glass in the freezer, but the bottom is cork so that you don't need yeah. coasters. I'm like... That is so worth it. She will be so happy to get those as a gift. Like that's such a perfect gift. I've never seen them anywhere. You know, flipping through here, the like the clear sphere glass, uh, like the the uh, those ice cubes that are like perfectly clear in the sphere. You know, right. those are so cool. But like, I have no idea how to make those. Right. So, yeah. anyways, I was looking around here, and I like. What's funny is I Pinterested a few of these to like the stuff to get board <laughs> that I've got. Sure. So now you guys have had some pretty high profile investors and uh, tell us about some of the people that have, have supported you guys over the years. Yeah, it, it's, it's really been fun, man. I, you know, when I came in and I you know, had a chance to like dig into things and look at the cap table and I was like, I, you know, I, I opened up a spreadsheet and I'm looking at the cap table and it's like 
Justin Bieber and like Kanye West and, you know, Aston Kutcher guys are all in cap table. And then like, you look at like real, like, like legitimate investors and people who put money in this thing. And, and, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of a who's who, I mean, you know, from a celebrity perspective, you got people like Will Smith who are big supporters of the company, but then large VCs, you know, general catalyst, Carlos Slim, you know, led around for us in 2015. And even today, you know, on, on, on our board of directors, you know, Francois Pinot, who is the chairman of the caring group which is gucci and balenciaga he's he's actually the gentleman that that uh, donated like 300 million dollars to the notre dame when it, when it burnt down a couple of years ago you know he's, he's he's still on the board and a large investor and then jim Pilata, who's you know one of the owners of the boston celtics he owns as roma soccer team he's the chairman of our board today so yeah it, it, it really is a, a who's who of people that are involved with this and and it was one of the reasons why when you know the opportunity presented itself i was so excited to join this company yeah when you think about kind of all the business advantages i mean like even if those people never did anything for the business but put money in the like mm -hmm. all of a sudden it's like a signal to all sorts of other people like oh well, maybe i should you know if will smith wants to see what that is maybe i should see what that is right like if you had any advice for others who want to attract higher profile people to their business you know a lot of people listening to this are entrepreneurs any advice that you would have just based on the experience and success that you guys have had yeah i mean you know i think the the only real advice is don't be afraid to ask, you know? I mean, I think a lot of people, a lot of people shut down opportunities before they even give it a chance, right? It's, it's so easy to do. Ah, that's never going to happen. Ah, he would never have any interest in talking to us or, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, well, you don't, you don't know that. You know, what you find out is, you know, a lot of these people are, are, are looking for cool companies. They're looking for cool opportunities. They want to take part in things. You know, you know the, the celebrity things, one, but, you know, especially the really successful high net worth individuals, the business people, like these people have built networks um, and have built relationships over years and years and obviously been successful in what they've done. And they're looking for ways and, and enjoy working with young founders and young companies and connecting dots and making introductions and providing guidance. And so, you know, my, my only advice, you know, obviously you want to have something that's of substance and like, you know, talking to any other investor, it's kind of got to make sense, but don't be afraid to ask. It's funny. It sounds so simple yet. How many of us don't ask, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I've been guilty of it myself. I think we all have, uh, you know, it's really easy. It's, you know, I actually was listening to one of your other podcasts and, uh, you know, just talking about the fear of failure, uh, you know, a lot of salespeople deal with. Right. And, and, and I think that that's true. I think a lot of people are afraid to fail. A lot of people, you know, don't like rejection. They don't like that uncomfortable feeling. And, and I think it can kind of slow you down, man. And, and it's not an easy thing, but, you know, sometimes even when I get that feeling, it's just like, you almost got to like, just put the blinders on and just be like, no, nope, just going to do it. And, and most times it works out well for you. Yeah. Well, I think it's really interesting, especially since you guys already have deep pockets that you're taking advantage of some of what's happening in equity crowdfunding. Can you talk about your WeFunder campaign? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, just being honest, I mean, you know, having been in the startup world for a number of years now, and, you know, I know your backgrounds uh, in M&A and, and private equity, et cetera, is very familiar with how the, the, the private equity world worked and working with, with accredited investors and raising capital. And, and I just, I truly wasn't uh, even aware of, of a lot of the changes that happened with regulation and the ability for non-accredited investors to, you know, invest and, and take part in, in equity rounds with private companies. You know, I had always thought of crowdfunding like uh, Kickstarter, right? You know, like, hey, I got an idea for a new whatever. Backpack. <laughs> yeah, give me 200 bucks. 
And then when, you know, once we build the backpack, I'll you get a free backpack, right? You know, something like that, um, or you get, you get a backpack. And uh, th- that's what I thought it was. We were going out to raise a uh, relatively small round, a two and a half million dollar convert, uh, very attractive valuation for where we are from an asset perspective. I really looked at it as more like a bridge round into, you know, a growth equity round we're planning a little bit uh, later. And a chairman of our board is also a large investor and refunder. And he was like, hey, man, I really, I think you need to take a look at this. I think this can make a lot of sense. Our internal investors uh, committed $1.5 million up front, and you can raise up to a million dollars in this uh, this crowdfunding world. So we were like, well, you know, let's give it a shot. And we had a chance to talk to the WeFunder guys and learn a little bit more about it. And, you know, what we realized is it's not just a great way for a company that's looking to go out there and raise capital to raise capital, but it's this, this amazing way for just normal consumers to invest, you know, relatively small amounts. I mean, a minimum investment is $250. And then have a real equity stake in these private companies, these 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 growth companies that have the opportunity to really uh, provide you with these outsized gains. And then, you know, we look at it from the perspective of, you know, A, we've had these loyal customers since 2010 that are still, you know, fanatical about fancy and the brand and, have been, and you know, come to it uh, and, and, you know, give them the opportunity to have, you know, a real stake in our organization. Plus two, you know, we look at it as, you know, from an opportunity perspective, Let's get the word out. You know, we're these these people out here who are investing in, in, in private companies. You know, let's let's help them understand the opportunity of fancy. And then, you know, the thought perspective is is once they they do invest in the company, they're not just a you know a customer. And it's like, yeah, you know, this is great. I enjoyed the purchase. Like they feel like they have a vested stake in our company. And we thought there was some opportunity to kind of grow on the on the back of that. Yeah. Well, it's fun. I'm just on you know wefunder.com slash fancy right now. You guys already have. $300,000 on here. That's, that's fun, yeah. fun head start. That's great. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, and it's like 450 new investors and you know, it's fun. It's fun. And I've had so many investors that have put money in and have reached out to me on LinkedIn and you know, people will make $500 investment, hit me up on LinkedIn and we'll start, you know, having a conversation with them and people will give me, you know, their ideas and their tips and things that they think we could do better. And, you know, it's great. It, it, it like, I feel like I'm I expanding my own team and uh, you know, I, I've really enjoyed the process and it's been very positive for us so far. You know, I, th- I think about so many of my friends from, you know, private equity or kind of the more Wall Street type backgrounds. And it just sounds like, headaches they would never want to have as small investors right and they just they they constantly see the downside and and you know sometimes smaller investors can be needier right maybe they're less experienced and and it is interesting we should talk about some of the reggae rules to you know help help people from help protect people from themselves of putting too much in that they can't or whatever right but but i really feel like there's another story there the other side of the coin that isn't appreciated you know like i feel like sometimes I think about, you know, when you make a lot of money, you get to feel special in our world, our world, like the media worships people who are rich sometimes. Right. And, and so there's kind of this cool factor of like being able to get into accredited things that others can't or something. Right. And I, I, I only deal with fancy rich investors, right. There's like this now all of a sudden I'm somewhere somehow worth more as a human being because of that. Right. And so there's this like, there can be kind of an allergic reaction to having small investors, right? And yeah. yet I look at this and I think, man, so, uh, you know, I'm looking at your latest update, 513 investors, right? You just got mm-hmm. 513 new brand ambassadors, you yeah. know? Like, like, why can't we care about small investors like we care about small clients? Like, do you, you know, do we disparage our small clients because they, 
they only bought four things off our website? No, we try to love them. We try to take care of them, customer service. Why, why wouldn't that same attitude work with smaller investors? And yes, there's going to be headaches. There's headaches with anything you do. But anyways, that, and any thoughts on that kind of mentality? Yeah, no, look, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I know, I know exactly the mentality you're speaking about, you know, and, 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 you know, taking a hundred thousand dollar check from someone who can't afford um, to lose a hundred thousand dollar check as, as a, as a small startup company trying to get off the ground. Like there's an, there's an added level of stress there. Right. I mean, because we all know that there's a lot of risk factors in startups and, so I get that. And especially people who, you know, aren't real sophisticated or, you know, maybe aren't highly diversified and, and there might be you know, things that come out of that, that is a, as a CEO or, you know, a board you're dealing with that could cause problems. So I, I don't discount that, that perspective, but you know, I think with what we're doing here and just the, the, the general sort of you know, opportunities, crowdfunding, you know, the average, I think, investment right now that we've taken in off 300,000, do the math real quick. It's probably a little bit over 500 bucks or something to that extent. So it's, it's relatively small amount of money, right? These people aren't, you know, putting their life savings in their college funds. You know, this isn't sort of make and break. Um, you know, I think a lot of people look at it as kind of a fun bet, as a, as a, as a fun way to sort of like take some chances in some different companies and like be a cheerleader and, and, and see how those things go. But, you know, to, to what we were talking about earlier, I absolutely love it. We're a, we're a, we're a you know, a consumer facing company. We are going to be as successful as the consumers out there trust fancy and want to go to fancy and share the story about fancy and, and talk to the friends about fancy. And, and as you said, like the fact that we're able to, you know, not only, you know, raise a little bit of capital and, 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 and do that type of thing, but sort of build this, you know, this, this, this hopefully very supportive, like fan base that's going to go out there and, and, and talk to people on our behalf is fantastic. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm really excited that the jobs that got signed and that there is a reggae plus, you know, with this yeah. was stuff that I guess was illegal for eight decades, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, looking back, I think it was why some of these things of, you know, the regulations don't allow them put, to put in more than 10% of their annual income or 10% of their net worth, you know what I mean? Like help, help those maybe folks who would get overexcited about something and do something silly. Right. And, but then you still got your flexibility with your accredited investors for, for the bigger type of opportunities. And I mean, you look at just how financially onerous it is to go public, you know, there's, there's such good PR opportunities. We were talking about this before the show of, of being public mm -hmm. and the media covering you where they, in ways that they often won't cover private companies, but like, you know, do you really need an extra $3 million in Sarbanes-Oxley fees on your burn rate? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's funny you say that I had a, I worked with the CEO one time and we, we would, you know, we were raising some capital on the outside and, you know, you always get that question of, all right, so what's, what's the liquidity event? Like, what's the end game? You know, what are you going to do? And he was like, I'll tell you what, the last thing I'm ever going to do is go public. He's like, I have no intentions. I have no desire ever to be the CEO of a public company. And I, you know, I was a little younger in my career, but I used to always think that was kind of funny. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like this guy's so allergic to the concept of having to go through just the regulation and, and living in that world. It's just like, no, it, it's like not even on my table. Like I want, I want a liquidity event. Like, obviously I want a return on my investors. We're, 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 we're a startup. We're backed by private equity, but I'm never going to go public. But yeah, I think there are a lot of advantages, right? There's a lot of free marketing side of it. There's a lot of negatives with Sarbanes-Oxley and, and audits and, you know, having to make decisions based on, 
you know, shifts in, in, in stock price that maybe affect long-term strategy decisions. And I mean, there's a lot of advantages in a private company, but it, it is, it is interesting dichotomy kind of when you look at it from that perspective. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm interested, you know, because you've had some, you've had some interesting results since coming out and since, since, you know, since coming in and taking over, you've already had some significant results. Can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah, we're growing. I mean, you know, the, the company never had, so, I mean, let, let me just, I'll take a step back. I mean, it's very much a turnaround. I, I just, it, I think it's fair for the uh, the listeners out there to know, you know, fancy, you know, I think at, at one point we raised capital at about a $600 million valuation. You know, that was probably our biggest public, you know, round that was disclosed. And then, you know, there were some talks and, and, and some conversations about acquisitions early on with, with some big players that were even excess of that. That, that did end up happening. And, you know, you can see it, it's, it's, it's live on WeFunder. You know, the money that we're raising right now is at a $12 million cap, right? So it's a significant change from where, you've, where we've been. And what, what excites me about it is, I think the company just intrinsically is worth well more where that valuation is, but there was a recapitalization that happened after, you know, an insolvency moment where, you know, basically ran out of cash and there was no choice, but for the CEO and founder at the time to, you know, to, to recap a significantly low valuation. When I came in, the company was losing about $700,000 a month, you know, just to give some perspective. So it was burning through capital very quickly. Revenue was never necessary, was never really a problem with the company. It's always been popular. We've never really had a complete drop off of our user base. People have always liked to use the, the fancy app. Where we were really missing the boat is profitable transactions and then spread a little too thin. We had, to give you some perspective, when I joined the company, we had a retail location in Soho, New York, one of the most expensive streets in, in, in the city. We were paying $25,000 a month for a boutique that, you know, that didn't include the, the security guards and the retail location. It was like making zero money. It was like all on consignment, didn't make any sense. We were doing uh, pop-ups and marketing services. So we were doing external like promotional services for our different brands. We were kind of running as an agency. Uh, we had started white labeling our own software because we've, we've built this really impressive marketplace technology over the years. So we started to white label it. So we're trying to run like a SaaS business kind of out of this, you know, the back office. And and then the transactions themselves on the platform were just not really profitable. They they had kind of fallen this model where we had a lot of, I, I mean, it's kind of embarrassing to say, but they, they were actually selling products that they had no relationship with. Somebody would buy the product online. They would then have a team, a person or a person go online, find the product, order it, ship it to fancy, take it out, put it into a fancy box and then ship it out to the customer, right? Like, like those kind of things were happening. So, you know, the first thing I did when I came in is, 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 is cut the fat and get back to the core of our business. So we were able to, you know, in a really short period of time, going from burning, you know, close to $700,000 to, you know, our burn right now is, 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 you know, we're closing in on under six figures on a monthly basis. We're rapidly approaching profitability. Our margins on a per transaction basis have almost tripled. You know, we're, we're seeing growth across revenue, we're seeing growth across traffic, we're seeing growth across net promoter score. So it's just in a really short period of time, we were able to fix some major fundamental issues that, you know, took a company from the valuation that it was at to where we're at. And now we're slowly starting to, to take the steps and, and moving towards, you know, where we're going to be in a situation where we're either going to become a profitable company and just operate and grow organically. Uh, or what's more likely, and I think what's the plan of the board and, and everybody else is go out there and probably raise a, a larger growth equity round at a higher valuation and, and look at how fast we can scale this thing. Yeah. 
when you think about when you think about the discipline it takes to go from losing seven hundred thousand a month, you know, and in, in relatively short order here, like approaching profitability, like you know, those aren't easy choices, right? Can you talk about like balancing the like the human relationship aspects with the financial constraints and you know the natural friction that might occur there? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. Without the doubt, without a doubt, the hardest, I think, the hardest part of, of my job, you know, and and yeah, and I never meant to become kind of a turnaround guy. It just it sort of I sort of fell into this, and it I got brought into a company, and and we were really successful in turning it around and rebranding it. And then, you know, the person who brought me into that company basically went on and and started a fund and started investing in other startups. So he would just bring me into new companies. <laughs> Uh, and that's ultimately how I, 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 you know, I got the introduction to the, to this team here. But you know, as you said, you know, when you're going into a company, and it is a turnaround situation, and and your directive is to cut costs, there's there's going to most likely be people considerations, and it's never easy. It's the hardest thing I have to do personally. I I don't like it. Uh, it doesn't get easier for me, but you know, it is a reality. To your point and to your question. The most challenging thing is how do you make those types of really tough decisions and keep the morale of your team up or not lose your team or not be considered this sort of like, you know, hatchet man, hatchet man. Right. Yeah. And you know, that, 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 that's, that's a balance, man. And, you know, I don't know if there's a, there's, there's a secret. I mean, I, I, when people ask me about it, I say that, you know, the one thing that I've really learned over time is just, communicate and be transparent and listen to your people. Uh, and that's, you know, the first thing I did at Fancy is, you know, I'd go in there and, you know, you talk to everybody and it's, you know, and I, I've talked about this before, the easiest thing to do is, is criticize. It's the easiest thing anybody can do is criticize. And when I'm being brought into a company and they're losing $700,000 a month and they were once valued at close to a billion dollars and now they're in the situation they're at, there's been a lot of mistakes. And I could go in there and I could just start pointing at stuff and why are we doing this and whose idea was this and all those things. And, and, and earlier in my career, it's probably what I would have done. And uh, what I've learned over time is, look, man, you weren't there. I was not there when these decisions were made. So I don't know what went into them, first of all. And then second of all, the team that's there put a lot of heart and effort and work into getting the company to where it's at. And if you start criticizing and you start kind of like, you know, poo-pooing on the work that they've done, you know, you kill their morale. So, you know, what I really try to do is I go in there, I talk to them, I ask them what they think we should be doing, what's wrong, why are we doing it? And what you find out real quick is the people on the ground know all the problems. They know what's going on. They know what needs to happen. So, you know, once, you know, you can avoid, you know, you talk to them and you avoid the impulse to make quick decisions and you really kind of be patient and you're thoughtful about everything you do, when you do make the decisions that you have to make and you eventually make, the people that you need to keep understand why you're making it. Because in a lot of ways, they've kind of told you what needs to happen already. So even though you had to make some, a decision where someone who maybe they like or they're friends with is no longer with the company, they get the reason behind it. And they understand that it's not a personal issue. And, and you know, I think that that's what, you know, I did a decent job of at Fancy because we were able to keep the people we needed to keep. And, and it was not an easy uh, process for a lot of people involved. Yeah. You know, it, it is interesting, the value, though, of being willing to make those hard decisions 
but make them from a human place. Mm-hmm. And I can see why so many people shrink away from it and, mm-hmm. and why it's so highly prized for those who are willing to, to pay the price and deal with the discomfort and, and be patient when they want to make quick decisions. And, you know, so I'm not surprised that if you've been able to do it elsewhere, that you've been tapped to do it again, because it's a unique skill set. Yeah. Know, and, and it, oh, go ahead. No, no, you go for it. Well, I was just going to say, you know, I, I, it, it took, it took, it took some scars, you know, I mean, the first couple of times that I was put in a situation where this opportunity was presented to me, I, I approached it a little bit like an MBA business case, you know, and, you know, that in school, they, they, they provide you with like this outline of the company. Here's, here's, you know, their market, here's their competition, here's how much money they're making, here's their assets. You know, what does the company do? And you're like, well, they should cut this division. They should cut this division. They should reinvest here. They need to change their brand and, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, you go into it and you do an evaluation at, at like almost a spreadsheet level. And then you would make these recommendations based on that. And you would completely lose track of the, the people that were behind the scenes and you weren't empathetic and you did treat it as like sort of mechanical in nature. And, you know, I, I broke a lot of glass and, uh, you know, we was able to be successful to an extent, but I realized that, you know, I'd be much more successful if I, if I didn't break as much glass and, and got the people to actually believe and want to follow me, you know, and, and then I think that's where we want to. Yeah. Well, maybe to close off part one here, I'll let you take your choice of what's either some of the best advice you've ever received or advice you'd want to go back and give a younger version of yourself. Oh boy. That's a, that's a good question. Definitely. You know, I just talked a little bit about the, the, the breaking glass. I think earlier on, I, I could have done a couple of things different. The most, the best advice I've received recently, that's really, I think helped me in my current role as a, as a leader of a company is, you know, I come from an operator's background. I, I love getting into the weeds, man. I love, you know, I was a COO. I, I, I managed product. I managed sales. I was managing marketing. I took part in every meeting. I like wanted to kind of make the final decision on everything. Like I just loved it. And, you know, when I was you know, really kind of getting things off the ground here at Fancy, one of our board members came to me. He's like, hey, listen, Greg, I, I know you. Someone I've worked with in the past has known me for a long time. He's like, I know you love to get in the weeds. I know you love it. He's like, you got to let your people run your company and you got to be involved. You got to set direction and you got to hire the right people and the morale, like all that stuff. But like, you got to step back and you got to be a CEO of a company and you're going to have to think external more than internal and it's investor relations and it's, it's having conversations like we're having like this. And, and that, that was hard for me to do. And uh, it took me a long time to kind of trust people to make decisions without my input. And I feel like I needed to be part of every meeting and, and all those types of things. But I think it's really helped. That's great. Well, everybody, please go check out their WeFunder campaign. That's WeFunder.com slash fancy. And uh, please tune in for part two. We're going to keep asking Greg what we can learn from his experiences. Thanks, Greg. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff.